it is a distinct possibility that Martinez could be pitching here tonight. You don't want to wait until it's too late. It's got to be at least a tie game to bring him in. That was a critical moment for us to make a decision. I felt like the team needed me at that moment more than any other. It was a moment for me to take it upon myself to see whether I was going to be able to help the team or not. I told Jimmy I wanted to try at, at that exact moment. Also out of respect for uh, Rod Beck, I went on to tell him if I'm okay, would you allow me to go in in that inning because it was cold to go uh, and pitch after uh, Derek Lowe. And uh, he says, of course, you have been the horse all year. You got us here. And uh, if you can pitch, why don't you just go, go on and, and try it? If you can't, we have your back. Taking pride on, on the fact that I was fighting with a whole bunch of guys that were all banged up and, and grinding out after out. And I said, you know what? If we're going to be in pain, we're going to be all of us in pain. It was 8 to 8. Said, let me just try and see how it goes with me. Pedro Martinez starts to loosen for the Red Sox. You know, as, as I warm up, I'm feeling better. And I just wanted to get that first out. Somehow get that first out. Take it as deep as I could uh, and as close as I could to a win. I guess adrenaline and wanting to win so bad for, for a city desperate for a championship. Once I got close to the end, I said, I, I refuse to let it go. Down two games to none. The Boston Red Sox have come storming back, and they are in the American League Championship Series. Just being the one that took charge on bringing that championship to Boston, uh, to me it was more important just how the whole city felt and, and how I was called to deliver, and I was able to do that, provide what they wanted. Allowed by Pedro Martinez from the fourth inning on, and the Red Sox move on. What's that? That's a swear jar. Every time someone swears, you put a quarter in it. Who gets the money? I don't know. We'll use it to buy something for the office, like a case of Bud Light or something. Fucking awesome. Fuck you, Bob. <laughs> Fuck you, Jim. Eric, I have a bag in line three for you. Can I borrow your pen? Can I borrow your f***ing pen? Will the owner of a white station wagon please go f*** yourself? We're going to go down there and we're going to f*** some We're going to f*** some We're going to do whatever we have to because we're going to f*** some Poop. Doesn't count. Shut the f*** up! I am so proud of you mother-suckers. Here, here. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Inside a can of Old Bay, a dock worker from Locust Point, a doctor from Sinai, a hairdresser from Patterson Park, and a firefighter from Glendon. There's a fourth grader from Friendship Academy and a lacrosse star for Boys Latin, a Catholic priest, and an Orthodox rabbi. A grandma from Dundalk and a drummer from Hamilton. What's inside a can of Old Bay? You are Old Bay. For 75 years, it's been the can that connects us. We're all ready to work. Edgar wearing the full-length sweatshirt on a warm night. Swing and a miss. He got him on a changeup. Three pitches, one punchado. 
He delivers 2-2 to Sirhoff. Strike three, call, fastball over the inside corner, and Sirhoff is going to complain to Terry Kraft. 3-2 pitch. He got him looking. Strike three, call. Bell winces and walks away. The wind up and the payoff pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Another Punchado on a high fastball. The 1-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the pitch down and away. A changeup. Here comes another 2-2 pitch. Breaking ball. Swung on and missed. He struck him out. Six strikeouts for Martinez, who's perfect through three innings. The 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He had a weak wave and a fastball down and away. Myers was overmatched. Pedro ready with an 0-2 pitch for Bordick. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Tried to check the swing number eight for Pedro. The plate, they expect the ball out there. They're looking for it. They hit it nine miles to right field and whatever. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Number nine for Pedro. Same as well. 0-2 pitch. Call third strike. Number ten for Pedro Martinez for the 59th time in his career. Lucky catch, huh? The 1-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Oh, he climbed the ladder. High heat, a riding fastball, and Conine is blown away. The 3-2 pitch. Fastball blown away. Oh, he have no chance at that one. Aratek, Pedro winds, kicks, and fires. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Got him on a high rider. Pedro Martinez has spanned 13 Orioles. He winds, he kicks, he delivers. Swing and a miss at a high rider. Number 14 for Pedro. It's amazing how this home crowd in Baltimore is standing now and cheering for the best pitcher in baseball, Pedro Martinez. They are watching a master at work and appreciating a master at work. What a tribute this is. The sign from Veritek. Pedro winds, kicks and fires. Strike three swinging and this one's over. Pedro Martinez with 15 strikeouts. A two-hit shutout. The Red Sox blank the Orioles nine to nothing. Complete dominance by the game's greatest pitcher, Pedro Martinez. I 
living You sit at home crying like a girl While I spread the gospel around the world Yo, the pods are written behind tracks That mix them smooth with the groove To make ears want to live And add a little gut And a rhythm to back it up Another show to my name Now watch me stack them up You think another way right back But this ain't no act jack My hobbies are rhyme Some people trying to be black But that about time I come out and call the show Beacon here, let me turn it out Yo, name Jake the Snake Border 71 Dates, you know what time it is I'm packing them guns Yo, experience I've been a witness to glory And that's why I collect ball players And their stories You heard? So Once again, back is the incredible The pod animal Jake the Snake Robinson From the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network I'm coming out of Paulie's Island South Kakalaki Hat man, hat podcast machine, back in the Captain Kurt chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pop, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, C-Mans? What's juicy? My diligence of dog. Welcome back for another week of the Grassroots Baseball Podcast Show, spanning the globe. Backwards K Pod here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, a place where all of us seamhead nerds can come together like Voltron as I regale you with stories of the players, personalities, moments, stadiums. As well as the pop culture references that have made an indelible and profound impact on all of our baseball consciousness as the national pastime of our great country. As well as serving our goodwill gift to the world. Hello everybody, it's your boy, Jake the Snake Robinson. I got your hook up. Holler if you hear me. This is Show 121. Week 15 of the 2023 offseason. Pitchers and catchers report today, folks. And this is it, freaks. The season is upon us. We made it through the long, arduous offseason. Football is over. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, by the way, for that title-winning performance over the San Francisco 49ers. Their third title in five years, and... Patrick Mahomes is simply a beast. But look, thank God it's over. And it is amazing to me how the Super Bowl has become this day where, you know, people sit around and complain about the game, the announcers, the commercials, the halftime acts, all things I could give two shits about. One side wants to radically defend the pop singer back in the All-Pro. The other side wants to radically attack the pop singer back in the All-Pro. And they both want to shout their opinions on the world, uh, to the world on social media. And here my goofy ass is, I just want to watch football. And the all chance that I might witness greatness and some glory here. Oh, and then there's these flat earther mouth breathers who want to cry that it's fixed because it wasn't the outcome they wanted or expected. Like, yeah, when the Kansas City, uh, when they punt the ball, we're going to need one of you Niner guys to stand right here and let that ball bounce off your leg. And then we're going to need you to open the door for Kansas City, letting them score a touchdown on the very next play. Okay? Got it. Now, places, everyone. 
just stop. You sound so moronic when you say stuff like that. I know many of you think you have it all figured out and your thoughts are poetry. But to normal, rational people, I promise you, it sounds exactly like what it is. Bullshit. I'm so dumb with football. It's Valentine's Day. And I just want to th- say the four sexiest words I can think of to all of you. So, come here. Get real close. And today is a special day. Not only is it the show's second birthday, officially, today, but it's Valentine's Day. So here it goes. The four sexiest words the snake can think of right now. Pitchers and catchers report. Oh, did you feel that? Let's go. I'm about to shut the hot stove down. If Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, and Cody Bellinger don't want to play baseball, who cares? Let him eat cake. Maybe this is a good wake-up call for Scott Boris. I mean, it's getting to be goddamn ridiculous. I mean, what is Snell going to do? Turn down playing for the Yankees for more money from Anaheim? Really? That's your options? I mean, that's a no-brainer what to do right there. Belly? Uh, you know, stop it, Cubs, already, and stop it. There is no bidding war for you. Just stop it. The Jays are out. The Yankees are out. And it looks like the Giants are out now that they got uh, Jorge Soler. Chappie, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe remind your agent he works for you, not the other way around. Again, I think the Giants are out. Options are drying up. Tick-tock, mother-effers. Let's go. The Pirates signed Yasmani Grandal. And that's about it, folks. Pitchers and catchers have reported those dudes will sign whatever they feel like playing, I guess. The game waits for no man. It continues to roll on, much like this machine, this BKP show does week in and week out. So, with this week's BKP Hot Stove Report in the books, we put a backwards K next to it. And that's my cue to get started on this week's topic. So with that being said, I'd like to get the last remaining stragglers to clear the platform here at Terrapin Station. Load up our BKP time travel choo As I look to the west of our station, our beautiful manicured baseball field, you can see the pitcher has completed his warm-up tosses. The catcher has right, rifled an absolute P down to second base on the bag. The umpire is called to play ball. And that infield is tossing that ball around right now with a little snap and swagger. I've seen enough. I have a schedule to keep this week. These anomalic wormholes are, are temperamental when uh, you're bending space and time, as well as traveling to another country. Where our story begins. With that being said, I'm calling all aboard. As I will be setting this week's time and destination for October 25th, 1971, Mono Gallo, Republica Dominicana, where we will witness the birth and rise of truly one of the greatest pitchers to ever tow a slab in the history of this beautiful sport, certainly in my lifetime. I mean, he's right there with Greg Maddox as the best of my generation. 
whenever I'm asked who's the better pitcher between Maddox and Pedro, there can be any number of factors for my answer that day as to the answer I may give you. I mean, some days it's Maddox, some days it's Pedro. I never really had the opportunity to watch Mad Dog live in the stadium, but I saw plenty of Pedro live. So, hurry, hurry, step right up, get in where you fit in, find yourself your own personal real estate, my state-of-the-art time, bending juju, take off your shoes, open your kimonos, ladies, rip those bras off, let the twins hang, we don't judge. As I build up the quantum speeds necessary to create the wormholes we need to bend time, some of you may experience a slight pinging in your ears as I hit 1.6 gigahertz on the spectrum analyzer, a radio frequency unknown to most humans without the proper security clearance. So don't be alarmed. It's only going to last a few seconds as we make our trip to the beginning of Pedro's story. Let's get a lot of chatter going about this generational talent. As I was saying, I never got to see Mad Dog pitch a cannon. Interleague didn't start until 1997, and I just didn't have the opportunity to see a pitch of the charm. And by the time I did, it really wasn't the cymatics of his career. But I saw Pedro plenty. In fact, when Pedro went to Boston... And he began making regular starts at Camden. I would rarely miss his starts. Whenever Boston came to town, first of all, I love watching O's versus Sucks. It's it's my favorite matchup to see live. There's no team I'd rather see my guys beat. I even went back home for three games last year to watch them play the Red Sox. I mean, old habits die hard, I guess. But I digress. If the Red Sox were coming to town, I'd like to go to at least two of those games. And if PJ's pitching, I'll take you tickets for that game for sure. I must have seen between 9 and 12 games in person that he pitched against us. We lost pretty much all of them except opening day 2001 when Pat Henkin outdoled him. <laughs> I remember that. And I would go to these games because, A, that dude was 100% worth the price of admission, and B, there's a good chance he could do something that I might have never seen before. And at the top of the show, I played clips from his 15 strikeout performance versus my beloved Burns in a 2000 game at Camden Yards, a game that I was at. And Freaks, I'm going to tell you, I have never seen a pitcher with my own two eyes that was ever that good. As Pedro Martinez on that day. That's the best pitcher I've ever seen in my life. And you heard the announcer. As Oriole fans, we were literally on our feet in the bottom of the ninth, cheering Pedro on to strike out the line of the shields for number 15 to end the game. It's the only game I can ever remember rooting against any of my favorite teams, let alone my Orioles. I mean, watching this guy just shred Brady, BJ, Bell, Bordy, it was an honor. 
with the Red Sox holding an insurmountable 2-0 lead in the ninth and two outs. The game was ostensibly over. I, I don't think Pedro had given up a hit since the fourth. This shit is ding-ding. I found myself, along with every other Oriole Red Sox fan, standing up and cheering him on to finish off the lineup. And that, my CMET friends, was the power of Pedro. Even as someone who was a fan of the opposing team, I not only respected him, but I absolutely loved Pedro. I loved to hate everyone else on that team, but not Pedro. He was a gift from the baseball gods. And who would have ever thunk the kid who grew up in abject, abject poverty would go on to not only forge his own baseball star in the, in, the, in the universe, but become a whole galaxy all unto himself. Fred Clare, the former executive president of the Los Angeles Dodgers, when Pedro was just cutting his teeth on a major league roster, will always look at Martinez as his biggest baseball regret. When he traded Pedro, even though he promised Dodgers fans in 1992, I would never... Uh, it would never happen, no matter what anyone offers me. Unfortunately, Claire did trade Martinez. And I will speak on that as we navigate our way through this story. But in doing so, he lost the services of one of the greatest pitchers in history. Certainly, something that hadn't been seen in about 50 years. Three-time Cy Young winner with a 219-100 win-loss record and a lifetime 2.93 ERA in an era when many of the best sluggers in the game, game's history, were, were, were physically enhanced and were ruling the game without mercy. And here we are, folks. Tearing through the fabric of space and time out of that wormhole and straight to our destination here at Monogallabo Distrito Nacional, Dominican Republic. October 25th, 1971, where a true baseball king has been born. So let us grab our frankincense, our myrrh and gold, and present these gifts humbly at the feet of Pedro Jaime Martinez. Who is now the fifth of six children born to Paulina and Leopoldina Martinez in this tin roof, shanty like hovel with dirt floors. And as you can see, Monogayabo is a poverty ridden backwater of a town. We're about nine miles from the country's capital of Santa Domingo. His father supports his current family as a janitor while doing odd jobs on the side, while Leopoldina made money cleaning the neighbor's laundry. The Martinez family, they weren't poor. They were po. They were so broke they couldn't afford the other O and R in the word poor. But Leopoldina always had her children well-dressed for school, as the parents stressed education to the Martinez siblings. It doesn't cost anything to learn. And his parents prioritized education above all else. Besides familia. The third priority on that list was baseball. 
It was in the Martinez blood as Paulino was a top shelf liquor pitcher with a nasty sinker during the 50s. And he played with future big leaguers Felipe and Matty Alou on the island, both of whom insisted he could have competed in the majors. The San Francisco Giants invited Paulino to a tryout, but he was so poor he couldn't afford cleats, let alone a round trip ticket. So his opportunity was lost. And that might explain on some subconscious level there was somewhere this desire to keep the children well-dressed and educated. And so Pedro, with his older brother Ramon, they grew up using tree branches for bats and for balls. Well, they went unfortunately to their sister's chagrin and horror would chop her Barbie doll heads off which were probably the most cost-effective baseballs they could find in the hood at the time. And almost every doll she ever had at some point met the Dominican guillotine, leaving her to run home crying to mama. When Pedro was nine, his parents divorced, and his older brother Ramon, by four years, becomes the de facto man in the house. At the age of 13. And Pedro admired his older brother. That was his hero. At such an early age, Ramon was able to display amazing maturity and leadership in the acceptance of this new role in the family. And his brother became the driving influence in Pedro's life. And to this day, he credits Big Brown. And I said on multiple occasions that everything I know about baseball and life off the field, I owe to Ramon. Everything I am, I learned from Ramon. His parents, his brother was paving his own baseball path and in doing so, inspiring young Pedro. Ramon Pitched for the Dominican Republic national team during the 1984 Olympics in L.A. at the age of 17. Because of his performance, he was signed by the Dodgers scout Rafael Avila on September 1st. And upon signing with Los Angeles, the team sent him to the baseball academy back in the DR to begin his MLB journey. And in the Grand tradition of the little brother who is always following Big Bro around. Pedro tagged along with Ramon and would go to the academy. One day in 1985, Avia spies young Pedro playing catch with his brother. And he thinks to himself, this 13-year-old kid, he kind of throws hard. So he figures, what the hell, let me put the radar gun on him. He's just curious. So he gets behind Ramon. He points the jugs at Pedro and he tells him, throw it as hard as you, as you can to your brother. A clock's in at 80 miles per hour, 129 kilometers per hour. Pretty impressive for a 13-year-old kid. And Avia gives Pedro his first bit of major league advice when he tells the kid to keep throwing. Pedro takes the advice to heart 
and does just that. And in 1988, the Dodgers and Rafael Avila signed the 16-year-old to a professional contract. Pedro continues to pitch locally in the 1988-89 season with the Dodgers Dominican Summer League affiliate, and he goes 12-3 over two seasons. Finally, in 1999, 1990, at the age of 18, he begins his climb through the Dodgers farm system with Great Falls in the Pioneer Rookie League. The season will prove to be a harbinger of things to come as he goes 8-3 with a 3.62 ERA. His victory total was the highest on the team, as was his walk, was his 40 walks and 77 innings pitched. In 1991, he starts out with Bakersfield in low A ball, where he won all eight of his decisions with a 2.08 ERA to boot. He made it abundantly clear that this league was no match for him. So, the Dodgers promoted him to double-A San Antonio of the Texas League. He goes 7-5, but he still dazzles with a blinding 1.76 ERA, prompting L.A. to promote him once again, this time to the Albuquerque Dukes in the PCL AAA League. And he's finally challenged. He goes 3-3 three three with a 3.66 ERA. So, for those of you keeping score at home, overall, the 1991, Pedro went 18-8 with a 2.28 ERA, 192 strikeouts, 66 walks, and 177 in the third innings pitch, becoming the first Dodger to bust up three levels on the farm since his brother Ramon did it three years earlier. The Sporting News would name him its Minor League Player of the Year. At 5.9 and 160 pounds, his fastball was clocked in at 90 to 92 miles per hour, and he had a wicked changeup that seems to be a genetic family gift. It was spring training 1992 when Fred Clare offered up his preemptive, faithful words about the possibilities for trading young PJ Martinez. He was doing very well in Dodger Town, which used to be the uh, team's Florida spring training home before the exodus to Camel Ranch of Arizona in 2009. And his rep was ringing out all over the baseball universe as other teams began to inquire about his availability. At this time, though, the only place he was going back to was uh, Albuquerque because the Dodgers felt the now 20-year-old still needed a little more seasoning. So in 1992, he goes 7-6 with a 3.81 ERA, but he records 124 strikeouts and 125 in third innings pitched with only 57 walks. His overall uh, season had earned him a cup of coffee in L.A. for a September call-up. Within days, his first result is a 3-1 complete game loss to the Reds in Cincinnati. And he has another strong camp in 1993, but again, he's sent down to AAA. But this stint is short as he only pitches three innings of one game for the Dukes before the Dodgers pull him back up to replace injured reliever Todd Morrell, whom they placed on the 15-day DL. So he gets into his first game that year in relief of his brother Ramon who had only given up one run in six innings versus the Atlanta Braves. 
leaving with the Dodgers trailing one to nothing. And Petey, as the boys were calling him, came in and gave up two more runs and an inning and two thirds. And the final score was a three to nothing loss. Now, Pedro and Ramon had become the first brothers to pitch in the same game with the same team since Rick and Mickey Mailer in 1979 with, ironically, these Atlanta Braves. His next appearance was his first loss, and that was the following night in the Dodgers home opener versus the Cards. Gerald Perry dropped three-run dong in the seventh on Pedro's lips to erase a Dodgers 75 lead as L.A. would fall 9-7. And although the start of the season didn't measure up to P.J.'s expectations, he would write his ship to have a solid, if not spectacular, Tom's rookie campaign. He appeared in 65 games, all but two in relief. He finished with a 10-5 record and an impressive 2.61 ERA with 119 strikeouts in 107 innings pitched. Once again, all the GMs, uh, they come calling. And this time, Fred Clare gets an offer that, for some reason, he can't refuse. And it would go down in Dodgers lore as one of the worst trades ever for the club. In exchange for Pedro Martinez... The Montreal Expos were willing to part with their young second baseman, Delano DeShields. The same Delano DeShields that was Pedro's 15th strikeout in that Orioles game I spoke of earlier. And for the Expos, it was a cost-cutting move. The speedy second baseman made around $1.54 million in 1993, which is about $3.25 million today. In 2024, and he was arbitration eligible. So, Martinez, on the other hand, he had made 114k in the previous season, and he wouldn't be arbo eligible for another two years. So, 114,000 in 1993 is worth around 245,000 dollars today. The Dodgers had used Pedro almost exclusively out in the bully because. They were skeptical that his small brain could withstand the rigors and demands of a starting pitching gig back then. That he would have the strength to go deep into ball games. The Expos, on the other hand, saw him as a starting pitcher. Despite weighing a buck 60 and they're going to put him right into the starting rotation that already featured Ken Hill, Jeff Vassaro, Butch Henry, Kenny Hill. And I went in depth about Pedro's run with the Expos and the depth of the Expos show. That's in that banging ass BKP catalog. Pedro was rising force with that young Italian team before the House of Cards would finally implode in on itself. And I got plenty of Pedro in there. By all means, check it out in the archives. It's one of my first five shows I believe I ever did, if I'm not mistaken. And that story is near and dear to me, as the Expos were always one of my favorite NL teams until their demise. And I documented how that 1994 Expos team had the best record of baseball, 74 and 40, before the carpet was pulled from under them, before the season could end. Derailed by a player's strike. 
I talked about how influential manager Philippe Palou was. The young, budding ace. Always chirping in his ear during bullpen sessions. It was a little who was first able to rein in this amazing talent in the major league level with trust, love, and support. And that 94 team was sick. The pitching staff had the lowest ERA in the NL with a 3.56, and the young Pedro was a major factor in their success. He went 11-5 that year with a 3.42 ERA and 144 strikeouts in 142 and two-thirds innings pitched. He also developed a reputation as a headhunter that year, and he was straight old school with no fear of coming inside and buzzing a few towers. Eventually, he earned the moniker Senor Plunk by the local Montreal press. He led the league with 11 hit batters. He was ejected from 12 games. He got into three fights. One of those fights I covered extensively in the Death of the Expo show. When Braves outfielder Reggie Sanders charged him out with pure malice in his eyes after being hit in the elbow, even though Pedro was pitching a perfect game. A lot of great stories in there, including Greg Maddish destroying the visitor's locker room after a tough loss. That show is one of my favorites still. Expo's pitching coach, uh, Joe Kerrigan, came to his defense saying, He's not trying to hit anyone. He isn't a malicious kid, which, come on. I love Pedro, but that's not completely accurate. I've seen him hit someone on purpose before. While doing the research, I saw a tape where he's on Boston playing the Twins, and the batter, Matt Lawton, calls time when Petey begins his windup, and you can tell Pedro's annoyed. And Lawton can tell Pedro was annoyed, and he said he was sorry. Pedro shrugs. Very nice pitch. He hits Lawton in the leg. So, to say that he's never purposely hit someone is not completely truthful. But, for the most part, I don't think he was maliciously out to hurt people. Not even Kareem Garcia. But, I think Pedro had that old school Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale mindset where he was going to come in and if you get hit, you get hit. So be it. This is the beginning of huge sluggers of the 90s. Some of them performance enhanced with 10 pounds of body armor on their limbs standing literally on top of the fucking plate. And guys like Pedro and Maddox, they had no qualms about bringing that heat up inside their kitchen. And that's what made them great. They were fearless. But Pedro also had a mean side to him when he competed. And he wasn't going to give it in to these big old donkeys. The dramatic dismantling of the young rising team when play resumed, saw a talented core of players like Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom, and John Wetman leave for greener pastures before the 1995 season. And what had been a powerhouse club the year before was reduced to ash and was well on its way to the district in a few years to become the Nationals. They finished last in the NL East with a 66-78 and 78 record. And nonetheless, Martinez continues to develop and his game is progressively improving. 
He finishes the 1995 season goal 14-10 with a 3.51 ERA. 174 strikeouts and 194 and two-thirds innings pitched. He did hit 11 batters again for the second year in a row, but technically, even that was an improvement considering he pitched 30 more innings that year. And this time, he didn't lead the league and hit batsmen. He came in third behind Mark Leiter and Dale Kyle, two guys I never heard anyone ever call them headhunters. The highlight of Pedro's 1995 season and probably the highlight so far of his young career, it came on June 3rd against the Padres in San Diego. That was the night Pedro became only the second pitcher in the history of baseball along with Pirates right-hander Harvey Haddock's in 1959, to take a perfect game into extra frames. In 1959, Haddix and the Buckos held the Braves perfect for 12 innings before losing the no-hitter in the game in the 13th. And on this night, Pedro molested the Padres, hitters for 9 innings, but the game was deadlocked at zeros. Fortunately, the Expos took a one nothing lead in the top half of the 10th, but Martinez would give up a leadoff double to Bip Roberts in the bottom of the 10th. And he would acquiesce to closer Mel Rojas, who came in and slammed the door on the next three batters. So, at least they did preserve the win. And Priest, think about that. We'll probably never see that again with the way staffs and bullpens are used nowadays. We see more combined no-hitters than complete game no-hitters when they happen now. In fact, I think I have some tape here of Roberts breaking up that perfect game here, my sound vault. Where did I put that son bitch? Martinez makes his bid for a perfect game. We're in the 10th inning, one to nothing Expos. A ball and a strike to Roberts. Roberts lines a ball right field. It's going to drop in. An extra base hit for Biff Roberts. He has a double, and the bid for the perfect game comes to an end in the 10th inning. 95 pitches thrown by Pedro Martinez. you got to feel that when any pitcher's got a no-hitter, or a perfect game going for that matter, tonight with Pedro, that the first hitter of every inning is the toughest, because he's sat for a while, the pitcher has sat for a while, now has to get back in the groove. And Bip Roberts is as tough as anybody in this league when he's leading off an inning. Because he has a small strike zone, and you have to throw strikes before he's going to swing the bat. Pedro watching that ball drop in, and then moves to back up at second base. He was as focused there on the game action as he was when Tarasco made the saving catch in the last inning. Virtually no reaction whatsoever. So Pedro leaves after 95 pitches and 9 perfect innings. And is that my boy Kenny Singleton on the on the color there? That's my dude. My first man crush. Kenny Singleton, baby. The Expos, they did have a bounce back uh, 1996 campaign. They went 88-74, just missing out on an NL wildcard berth by a measly two games. And on the surface, 
Some would say it was down year for Pedro. He went 13 and 10. Had a 3.7 ERA, which was the highest ERA of his career to date. But really, the win-loss record was anchored down by the fact that the Spurs had only scored 22 runs in his 10 losses. Nevertheless, he earned his first All-Star nod. He gave up two hits and no runs in his inning of work at the Midsummer Classic as his National League compatriots beat the American League 6 to nothing at the vet in Philadelphia. And any questions about PD's potential and abilities, they were answered emphatically in 1997, and that was the year that Delano DeShields left the Dodgers after three mediocre seasons with a 2.41 average and a 3.26 OBP from 1994 to 96. Pedro delivers, going 17-8, his 1.9 ERA was best in the league, 305 strikeouts, 13 complete games, struck out two batters in the All-Star game, and became the first and only pitcher in Montreal Expo's history to win a Cy Young Award, receiving 25 of 28 votes, while Greg Maddox got the other three. And for Pedro, the award was more than just like this personal accolade. He became the first Dominican pitcher to win the prestigious plaque. He was humbled as he thought about his brother, who had been his sensei since his parents' divorce, teaching him the ways of baseball and light. He thought about the Dominican dandy Juan Marichal, who never once won the coveted award, which is crazy. It humbled Pedro so much that he gave Marichal his first Cy Young Award at a banquet when the season ended. And Marichal was deeply touched by the guest there, Pedro, but he returned it back. From an Expo's standpoint, the first Cy Young Award in the team's history was worth celebrating because it raised its trade value for their the Blossom Rose here as Pedro was one year away from free agency and the Expos are on the clock. As they are a mere eight years away from having their plugs pulled before being Frankenstein and rebranded into the Nationals. Exmo's officials are still hoping for a stadium miracle, but the writing is on the wall for Pedro's time. The Cash Trap Ball Club is hoping to at least trade him while the getting is good. They sent him to the Boston Red Sox for Carl Pavano and Tony Armas Jr., Shortly after the trade, he signs a six-year deal with Boston worth $75 million. $75 million in 1997, it's worth nearly $145 million today in 2024. So you're looking at an AAV AAV of around $24 million. And I go back to the skinny kid. Born in a dirt floor house in Matagayabo, a Dominican Republic ghetto. The kid who used to chop the heads off his sister's doll babies just to have a suitable substitute for a much too expensive baseball. The kid who against every odd imaginable, now at this point in the story, has become one of the brightest baseball stars in the universe. And by the time he is done... He will ostensibly become the baseball king of his island. 
that is just chock full of generational talent. So, I'll tell you what, C-Mets. Yeah, let's stick a pin right here in the Pedro Martinez story. When I get back, we will continue with Acts 2 and 3 of his bio, beginning with his impressive run in Boston. I will never charge this audience for the baseball content. No Patreon, no Twitch, no bonus show, pay-to-play subscriptions. I give you a bonus show, it's for free nerds. I do a once-a-year fundraising drive, and I personally sell my show to sponsors. I'm not here trying to dig into your pockets, so if you want to show support for the show, all I ask is that you listen, share, rate, and review. Follow the show and support my sponsors, Budweiser and Obey, and especially the first one to believe and sponsor me, the grassroots sponsor that supports your grassroots baseball show. Laparose hand cleaner. No more smelly hands. I'm at Postcards tell you all about it. Me and my boy Gunner. We'll be back in a hot minute. Let me hydrate, rip a few tubes. Don't go anywhere. See on the dark side of the moon. With more Pedro Martinez. Backwards K-Pod. And the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. No one cannot win. no This game is for you, the fan. You want the action to flow, the bat on the ball, and tearing on the base pass. This is the game we all want to see. Get the ball, pitch the ball. Keep the defense on their toes. Field like Ozzy, run like Ricky. So get that shift out of here. Free up the players to put on a show. It's the best game in the world. Now it's even better. The 15-game winner with that league-leading ERA of 2.10. Three complete games. Barry Larkin that's still one of the game's best. With a changeup and a good start for Pedro Martinez in the American League. Just selecting the reserves, the pitchers for this. Goodbye, Larry Walker. See you later. Wow. Well, stay tuned. Pedro doesn't look like he's losing anything. <laughs> Three balls, two strikes on Bagwell. Hunter goes, swing and a miss, struck him out, throw down. Williams is gone, strike him out, throw him out, double play. And Martinez has faced the minimum through two. Howdy, y'all. This is Big Tex, Gage Dean, executive producer of Backwards k Pod. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf... There's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fishing Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap only to touch my eyes half hour later and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no base spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner 
specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There's also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com. Or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290. To support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290. To prepare for your summer time shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning, crawfishhandcleaner.com. What does that bring up for you when you see that 99 All-Star start in Fenway Park? Uh, well, before the game, I remember shaking a lot. I've never seen planes in an All-Star game fly so low. That's how it was. <laughs> I, was I was standing on the mound, and, I, and I'm warming up, and when the planes went by after the anthem, you know, I'm, I'm almost done okay, warming yeah. up. Right. The fly over. I, I did not expect the planes to fly so low. And they kind of shook me and shook the entire stadium. It was like the most amazing sound I, I've ever heard. And then, uh, you know, just uh, watching the old century team, to me, was great. That was unbelievable. I remember hand current coming over and wanting to shake my hand. And uh, to me, that was like, oh, my God, this is it. But it got even better. Uh, because after the game, the game, I knew what I could do. I, I was facing those guys during that era. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I was able to do and have Ted Williams come, bring me over to his suite where he was, uh, actually, there's a little video, I don't know where it is, the Red Sox have it, mm -hmm. where he says, you one hell of a pitcher. And he shook my hand and he signed the program. And that was pretty much my trophy. That that capped it up. I think that just being part of the most unique All Star game that I that I, that I can think of, have the old century players something we might not see in this lifetime, is probably the most amazing gift I could ever get in an All Star game. Forget about the strikeouts. Forget about the performance. An All Star game like that deserves that, and and probably even better. Because I, I just remember that after the all-century team had been announced and then the the players had been announced, I'm assuming you're warming up in the bullpen? Is that where you were? Right. At the it was just about. It was okay. always delayed. 
Remember how everybody mopped over? Well, that was Williams? it. Yeah, they, they, they asked, they announced, the public address announcer asked you essentially, you guys, to break it up. Yeah, they, they, I was already, in, in, you know, walking to the bullpen, but okay. it was so delayed because everybody wanted to hug Ted Williams <laughs> uh, that I had to actually hold myself from pitching, something I did not like. But because it was an all-star game, you're flexible to doing anything. And if it was in a regular game, I'll be pissed. <laughs> I'll be really angry at everybody, TV and everybody. But right. it was the all-century team. It was dedicated to Ted Williams. To me, it was an honor to just be part of anything that, that, that happened that day. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, Bob Gibson was out there, too. Everybody. Koufax. Koufax. Uh, uh, Roger Clemens, Ken Griffey. Uh, uh, all the players that were yes. that, that were from the old century team and at the same time were alive. Some of them have passed away since then, unfortunately. But uh, I, I was really happy to take part in that all-star game, the most unique all-star game that we could probably, we, we will ever see again. I agree. I agree with you, Pedro. Yeah. Uh, was there any thought of you not going to innings, just doing one? Was there? No, I was there to pitch. I was representing Boston. I was representing Ted Williams. Uh, I, I, I was, I was in perfect timing to go pitch. Uh, it was, it was just amazing. Everything was amazing about that all-star game. It was also a learning lesson for me. How so? Well, I, 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 I learned to keep my composure, uh, you know, about uh, forgetting about the hype because there was a lot of hype in that all-star game. Uh, I learned to keep my composure, uh, the delay and all that. I figured, it didn't have to affect my game the way I thought it would uh, by someone delaying or, you know, throwing me back on time. So uh, I, I try to learn from everything I did, and, and that was a game that really taught me how to be patient and, and wait for my time. It's interesting you say Pedro Martinez, Hall of Famer, and again on uh, MLB Network tonight, tomorrow from Nationals Park. Also enjoy your work uh, that you do with uh, TBS as well. Thank you. And um, here on the Rich Eisen Show, where you said if it was a regular season game, you'd be pissed. Our Current day pitchers, that way, do they have that mindset? Do you think, Pedro? I, I, to me, the most stressful day was the day before I pitched. And why is that? Because I wanted to get it over with. I wanted to go after the hitters, and I wanted to be out there. And I didn't even want to wait one second. I just wanted to go after you. And I had a hard time dealing with that because I prepared myself. I got ready. And I just wanted to go out there and compete and kind of have the day and a half I had to kind of relax. Uh, for me, baseball, if I had known better like I know now, I would enjoy it a lot more.
nerds to the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network and this week's version of the Backwards K Pod, where this week we've been examining the life and career of one Pedro Martinez, quite possibly, arguably, the best pitcher of my generation. And before me and Gunner bounced out for that spot break, I was telling you seen hints about his uh, childhood living in the Dominican Republic, following his brother around mowing around the various sand lots on the island in his neighborhood, playing baseball, how he used to chop his sister baby doll heads off and use them as baseballs. At a very young age, he is encouraged by Dodger scouts to keep throwing the ball when they spot him playing catch with his brother who is now in the system. A few years later, he joined his brother on the team and is slowly developing into a talented prospect who is said to be untradeable. But sure enough, the Dodgers trade him to the Expos where manager Felipe Alou becomes his mentor from day one. And the Expos seem to be on the cusp of making a deep playoff run with Pedro as a major contributor before the player strike of 1994 kills their ambitions and ultimately the team. Pedro stays on the team after a fire sale destroys the infrastructure and he continues to develop and get better. By 1997, his last year in Montreal, he's on top of his game and he wins his first Cy Young Award. The Expos are reading the tea leaves and they know they will never be able to afford their budding ace when he becomes a free agent in 1998 when he hits that free agent market. So they decide to strike while the iron is hot. When his trade value is at its highest after his Cy Young performance, and they deal him to Boston. And soon after his trade with Boston, the Red Sox signed Pedro to a six-year, $75 million extension. The 1997 Red Sox under Jimmy Williams, they finished fourth in the AL East with a 78-84 record. With Pedro in the rotation for the 98 season, Jimmy Williams all of a sudden became one hell of a manager, leading the Sox to a 92-70 record, which was good enough for second place in the AL East in a wild card berth. Pedro was scintillating, going 19-7 with a 2.89 ERA, 251 strikeouts, earning his third straight All-Star appearance, and finishing second to Roger Clemens of the Toronto Blue Jays in the Cy Young race. And it was also PJ's first taste in the postseason as he took them out in Game 1 of the ALCS against Cleveland. He pitched 7 strong with 8 Ks, giving up 3 earned as the Sox cruise to an 11-3 victory. But that would be the only shot that year as the Sox would fall to the Indians the next three games and would be eliminated in the best-of-five series. 1999 was simply a season for the ages for Petey. He won the pitcher's triple crown with 23 wins, 2.07 ERA, and 313 strikeouts. But for me, 1999 will always be remembered as the greatest all-star weekend and game ever. Pedro started the Midsummer Classic when the top 50 players of the 20th century were presented before the game. And a classic 
never to be forgotten ending of seeing, you know, the brightest stars of the era all paying an homage and gathering around Ted Williams. Pedro goes before his home crowd. He strikes out five of the first six batters he faces in a scene reminiscent of Carl Hobble striking out Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, and Joe Cronin in the 1934 All-Star Game. Pedro astounds the baseball universe, choking out Barry Larkin, Larry Walker, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Jeff Bagwell. And his last victim, Bagwell struck out. Matt Williams was caught trying to steal second base who had walked. And the thing I remember most is Pedro destroying Bagwell and then Yvonne Rodriguez throwing a seed to Roberto Alomar at second base who dropped his glove in the path of a sliding Matt Williams with Cowherton Jr. back in the playoff. I mean, that scene represented everything that I love about this game. He would be rewarded with the game's MVP. And it was one of those instant classic moments. The Red Sox again made the post. And we're locked in a wall card matchup with Cleveland. Again, Pedro starts game one. And he pitches four scoreless innings. Before a strain in his back forces him out. Cleveland would score in the bottom of the ninth to win three to two. Boston won two of the next three to stalemate the series at two games apiece. Going into that decisive game five. Unfortunately for Cleveland, the knot in Pedro's back had dissipated. Brett Saberhagen took the bump for Boston in Game 5 before being replaced by Derek Lowe in the second. And after only three innings, Cleveland was ahead 8-7. to seven. The Sox tied it in the fourth, and then Pedro took the mound in the bottom half of the inning. And for the next five innings... Pedro made the Indians line up his bitch by completely shutting them down. On 97 pitches, he allows no runs, no hits, walked three, struck out eight, and one of the most gutsiest pitching performances in the post ever. Meanwhile, with him silencing the mighty Indians lineup, the Red Sox score four runs, take a 12-8 lead, and Pedro always seemed to be able to rise and meet the moment in his prime. He strikes out Omar Vizquel to end the series and propel the Red Sox into the ALCS to face those damn Yankees. Pedro would prove to be the lone bright spot in the series as the Yankees won in five. He faced Roger Clemens in game three at Fenway and the Red Sox splooged all over Rocket's face, scored five runs off of him in two innings, and they won going away uh, 13-3. P.J. would pitch seven scoreless innings in that win. For the second year in a row, Pedro was recognized as the best pitcher in the American League, winning another Cy Young Award, this time by unanimous vote. He goes 18-6, and six, leads the AL with his 1.74 ERA, as well as his four shutouts and 284 strikeouts. And, folks... This is the proverbial height of the steroid era. Six foot nothing, 160 pounds, soaking wet, and Pedro is just clowning these chumps. 
The American League ERA was 4.91. Pedro is three runs less than the average. His 213 OBP against was the best of the modern era and the best in 100 years. The team would finish second in the East but missed the playoffs. The 2001 season was a path of frustration and disappointment as Martinez contended with the first major injury of his career when a tear was revealed in his rotator cuff. By September 7th, he was shut down by the club and he and GM Dan Duquette Oh, God, I can't stand that dude. Squabbled over his availability and health. And for the year, Pedro finished with a 7-3 record in 18 starts, 2.69 ERA, and 116 and two-thirds innings pitched. Pedro returns with remorseless vengeance in 2002. Reaching the 21 threshold for the second time in his career, he goes 20 and 4. He wins the ERA title, 2.26, and his 239 strikeouts with a benchmark in the American League. He finishes second in Zion voting behind Barry Zeta. The 2003 season was earmarked by two of the most controversial baseball moments of the 21st century, and both of them coming in that year's highly charged. ALCS versus the rival Yankees. Personally, Pedro had an outstanding 14-4 record. He won another ERA title with a sterling 2.22. Red Sox manager Grady Little began to limit Martinez's innings whenever he could during the regular season, giving him a day off between starts whenever possible. The Sox finished 95-67. and earning the first postseason burst since 1999. After defeating the A's and the ALDS, the baseball universe held their collective breath as these two proud rivals were set to square off once again. Pedro started Game 3 at Fenway Park with the series even at one game apiece. In the fourth, the Bombers go up 3-2 to two when Martinez hits Kareem Garcia. No punches were thrown, but there were exchanges of words between Kareem, PJ, and Yankees catcher Jorge Posada. And the electric atmosphere of the stadium, as well as by the television set, had become palpable. In the bottom of the inning, Manny Ramirez, who was always accustomed to diving out over the plate to destroy the outer half, he takes exception to a fastball that was barely inside. Manny begins to wave his arms and loudly protests, uh, creating an embarrassing scene over a pitch that barely came in. Clemens lifts both, both of his arms as to say, Are you fucking serious, dude? That ball was barely inside. And both teams start filtering off the field, onto the field, and it gets a little physical. I mean, you know, by physical, I mean your typical baseball fight where guys get in between the two arguing dudes. There's pushing and jawing, but no one really wants to fight over Manny and his delusions. And then, for some reason, 74-year-old Yankees bench coach, former Red Sox manager, Don Zimmer, bolts out of the Yankees dugout and begins to bull rush Pedro at full speed. Well, look, the full speed sprint of a 74-year-old man. Let's keep it in context here. Martinez 
is already surly after blowing the lead the half inning before. He turns around to see the erstwhile manager, Vet, charging him, and he just reacts. As Zimmer lowers his head like a Brahma bull ready to strike his matador nemesis, Pedro grabs the coach with both hands by the head and throws him to the ground. And as Zimmer is flopping around like a senior citizen flounder, everyone kind of stops fighting and arguing on both teams and just look at Zimmer lying on the ground. And it served as a galvanizing moment as both teams knew that this shit was getting out of control. It's going too far. Not sure what Zimmer was thinking that day. And here's the deal. 24, 25-year-old Don Zimmer playing baseball for the 1950s Brooklyn Dodgers. He would have tore Pedro apart. I, I promise you that. Pedro would have had no chance in a physical altercation with that dude. Zim was as tough as they come back in the day. But uh, this wasn't back in the day. He was thoroughly caught up in the moment, the rivalry, and the stakes at hand. And he must have just forgotten where what year it was. After the game, he admitted that it was his fault. And Pedro got a lot of shit for seemingly attacking an old man, even though he was just defending himself. And he admits that's his biggest baseball regret to this day. Although Petey lost the game, the Sox hung him there to give him another day to fight. And Game 7, Grady Little gives his ace the ball. And for most of the game, Pedro awarded him and the team with his performance. But going into the 8th with a 5-2 lead, the Yankees tackle on one more. They're threatening for more with Hideki Matsui coming to the plate. Looking to hurt Boston. Little goes to the mound. He asks Pat Pedro if he can still go. Pedro says he's good. But he wasn't. It was so obvious he was running out of gas. I'm screaming at the TV to take him out. Matsui smashed the ground with a double to give the Yankees runners at second and third with one out. Yankees catcher Jorge Posada hits a blue single driving in two. And Aaron Boone melts a series winning blast in the tenth off the late Tim Wakefield. So, Little's fired after the series. And Martinez wasn't quite as effective in 2004. He went 16-9, but he had an un-Pedro-like 3.90 ERA. The Sox would make the post again in what would prove to be an almost improbable historical run by the Red Sox. Once again, it's on. Sox, Yankees, ALCS. Pedro lost Game 2, 3-1, even though he was solid for six innings. In Game 3, the Yankees blast the Sox out of the park, winning 19-8 and leaving the Red Sox in the unenviable three games to none deficit. And all looks lost. There's no possible fucking way the Red Sox can overcome this. The curse of the Bambino is sure to live another year. But... The Sox stay alive in Game 4, winning 6-4 in 12 innings. Pedro pitched Game 5, allowing four runs left after six innings, trailing the Yankees 4-2. But the Sox would tie it in the 8th and again win it in the 12th. The Sox would tie the series in Game 6 with Kurt Schilling pitching on one fucking ankle with a bloody sock for the world to see would courageously force a Game 7. 
And Boston would complete the miraculous comeback in Game 7. Martinez pitched the 7th, allowed 2 runs on 3 hits, but the Red Sox easily won 10-3. to After the inspired comeback, the World Series was kind of anticlimactic. After the 19A dropping at the hands of the Yankees in Game 3 of the ALCS, the Red Sox, they didn't lose again. And that includes a four-game sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. After a rather mediocre ALCS, Pedro was outstanding in his one World Series start. He pitched seven shutout innings in Game 3, picking up the W in a 3-1 victory. And that joyous moment of winning the World Series... Pedro took his moment to remind the city of Montreal of how important that town was to him and his development. And he was sharing this world championship with them, even though they no longer had a team, saying, my heart and my ring is with them too. At the conclusion of the campaign, Martinez tested the free agency waters, and the Mets outbid the Red Sox for services, inking him to a four-year, $53 million deal in December of 2004. Queens, which has a rabid Dominican baseball fan base, they loved Pedro when he pitched, and it was an event throughout the borough. Especially that first season, he goes 15-8, makes the All-Star team, and he marries Carolina Cruz. In 2006, he makes the All-Star game again, but he only goes 9-8 with a 4.48 ERA at the end of the year. As injuries to his hip, calf, and toe limited him to 23 starts. He undergoes rotator cuff surgery in October, misses the postseason for the Mets that saw them come one game short of going to the World Series. The surgery alleviated the pain, but it cost him velo on his heat. It took 11 months for PJ to recover, and he didn't make the first start until September 3rd, going against the Reds in the Queen City. And that was a milestone milestone game for Petey as he became only the 15th player to record 3,000 strikeouts in the history of the game. The victim was Reds pitcher Aaron Harang on an 87-mile-per-hour fastball. In his short season, Pedro goes 3-1 with a 2.57 ERA. The decline continues in 2008 as Pedro had the worst campaign of his career, going 5-6 with a 5.61 ERA. As the Mets win 89-73, the club missed the post by one game, and you gotta think a healthy, productive Pedro would have undoubtedly pushed them into the playoffs. Not only was it a down year statistically, but it was also the year of his father dying of brain cancer. When the 2009 season kicks off, Martinez is a free agent, but no one is fighting. Finally, the world champion Phillies look to repeat. They signed him to a one-year, one-million-dollar contract on July 15th. The hope was that he could provide veteran leadership, help him overcome any injuries, issues on the staff. And after three starts in the minors, Pedro takes the bump August 12th versus the Cubs at the friendly combines and was the winner in a 12-5 filthy victory, going five innings while giving a three-earned and striking out five. The Bills, along with Pedro, would capture the NL East crown with his 5-1 record, 3.63 ERA. He didn't get an opportunity to face the Rocks in the NLDS as the Phillies 
cruised past Colorado in the first four games. He was magnificent in game two of the NLCS versus the Dodgers, throwing seven scoreless innings. State told one nothing lead when he left. The Dodgers would rally after he left the game and went 3-1. to Their only win in the series as Filthy dispatched LA in five games. And once again, Pedro was on the World Series stage, and this time it was against his old rival Yankee Club. Martinez starts game two. He gives up three runs in six innings. His counterpart that night was A.J. Burnett, who was virtually unhittable that evening as the Yankees won 3-1. to Pedro started game six and what would be his final pitching appearance of his career. And he just didn't have it that night as the Bombers chased him out of the game with four runs and four innings as the Yankees won 7-3. Overall, not a bad season for Pedro, but certainly not up to his lofty standards. And he knew the time had come to call it a career. And retirement has done him well. He and his wife, they run a foundation in Santo Domingo that offers kids a chance to learn how to use computers, how to speak and write English, how to play and read music, as well as addressing social issues like overcoming and battling domestic violence, uh, the challenges of teenage pregnancy. He's had paintings of him unveiled in the Smithsonian Museum of Art in the National Portrait Gallery. He received another ring with the Red Sox when it was Ben Charrington's special assistant consultant. And he's an amazing talent as a studio analyst for the MLB Network and his postseason coverage on TBS. And look, nerds, I think this is where I'm going to twist this up like 5-4-3 around the horn. Put the Pedro Martinez bio in the books with a big, beautiful backwards K next to it. Thankfully, Pedro played in the modern era, and there are plenty of videos out there to watch him and his stupid Bugs Bunny pitches. Go check some of that out. I really enjoyed myself watching hours of Pedro on all the digi platforms. That dude was something else. I want to thank you guys for stopping by this week. I'll be up bright and early like Kobe Bryant outworking everyone around me tomorrow morning in the cage. And I'll be making those adjustments. And I promise, freaks, I'll always try to be even better for you guys my next stop in the rotation next week. My boy Charlie Guns is tapping his left paw. He's seen enough. He's going to the bully. Okay, Gunner, calm down. Let's get these Seamens back to their loved ones, patiently waiting for them at Terrapin Station as we load up our time. Chavo Chucho. For that trek back to 2024. Let's all sit back. And relax. And ponder these incredible raw stats. Left behind. By the one. The only. The great. Pedro Martinez. Okay. What do we got this week? Pedro Jaime Martinez. Born October 25th, 1971, in Mano Republica Dominicana. On September 24th, 1992, the 28-20-year-old kid becomes the 16,246th person in the history of the planet Earth to join the Major League Baseball fraternity when he makes his big league debut versus the Cincinnati Reds. 
Pitching us in complete games, ready two hits, two strikeouts, and a walk. Three earned runs and a loss. 18-year MLB career, played for the Dodgers, Expos, Red Sox, Queensbridge, Mets, and those filthy Billies. 83.9 career war, the 57th highest wins above replacement in baseball history. His 86.1 pitching war is the 17th best all time. 219 wins, 100 loss, 2.93 ERA, a 687 winning percentage, 10th best ever. 476 games, 109 of those were starts. 46 complete games, 17 shutouts. 2,872, uh, I'm sorry, 2,827 and a third innings pitched. Surrender 2,221 hits in his career. 1,006 runs, 919 of those were earned. 3,154 strikeouts. Fifth most in game's history. 141 hitters plunk. Pedro style, baby. No fear, no remorse. Fucking Jason. Love me some Pedro. 11,394 batters face. 27.7 of them suckers. They struck out. A 200, uh, uh, wait a minute here. A 214, 276, 337 slash against. 154 ERA plus 105 whip. 2.91 FIP, eight-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young Award winner, twice in the AL, once in the National League, 1997-99-2000-1999, All-Star repeat, uh, 1999-1999, pitching triple crown winner, five-time ERA champion, 97-99-2000-2002-2003, Dude was a whip machine. Six times led his respective league in whip. Eight time pitcher of the month. Five time pitcher of the week. In 2015, Pedro garnered 91.1% of the vote. 500 out of 549 ballots by the baseball writers to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. In July of 2015, the Boston Red Sox retire his number 45 for posterity. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, seamens of all ages, this is a story of the one and only Pedro Martinez. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. And again, thank you so much for letting me into your life to tell this story. And thank you for giving me the chance to do what I love to do most, and that's pontificate the seams with you fine freaks. With that being said, let's get you nerds back to 2024. My boy Charlie Guns, he's ready to roll. And with the Pedro Martinez story getting smaller and smaller in our rearview mirrors, I now turn my attention to I never say die baseball hydra, and I chop the head off that beast, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Next week, oh man, I can't wait. We will be discussing the career of 
about one-third of the baseball holy trinity of switch hitters. Next week, I'm talking steady Eddie Murray, folks. One of my true childhood heroes. I get to really mark out next week. Eddie Murray, ladies and gentlemen. Number 33 in my program, but number one in my heart. And I can't wait to dive into those waters. I told you before, I'll never charge you, freaks, for the baseball content here. I'm just going to keep coming through every Wednesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Andre Dawson, the Hawk, y'all. Please rate and review. Share with your teammate buddies. You can find me on YouTube and TikTok at Backwards K Pod. Twitter. I'm not calling upon that other name. Sorry. Not really sorry. At back underscore K underscore podcast. Or I'm usually a social butterfly hanging out with the nerds at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network group page. And yeah, I think that's it. I think I got everything. I think I accomplished my goals. Vinny, Vinny, see, I came, I saw, I conquered. Parents, if you see your kids sitting on the couch, they got their noses in their phones, by all means, take those little monkeys outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillebrand told me in our one-on-one sparring session in a dojo a couple years back, you go to hell, Andy Pettit, you southpaw menace. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Straight to the depths, you. Me and my ferocious, felonious feline co-host, Charlie Guns, we're throwing up our Gunner Henderson's, y'all. That's our number twos, you nerds. As in... Peace. My boy Eddie Murray, let's next week. Let's go.